0: The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at ShadesValley.org. One of my greatest theological influences is the Puritan pastor, Jonathan Edwards. I'll read you a quote before I pray and we get into the Word. Edwards says, God is the highest good. Of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of Him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Father, show us yourself this morning through your Son, by your Spirit, as the ocean of our eternal happiness as the only source of our eternal happiness let us catch more of a glimpse of you and your glory in the face of jesus christ by your spirit shining the light of the gospel into our hearts this is our prayer we pray these things in your name and by your spirit amen I invite you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2 if you haven't done so already. Uh, Including today, I've got four Sundays left before I go on sabbatical. And it's an incredible gift, Shades, that you would give uh, to me and to my family to allow me to take the months of June, July, and August as a time of, of renewal and of focused study. But that's not here yet. I've got four Sundays and when I was trying to decide what to preach before leaving for three months, uh, that proved to be a little bit of a dis- difficult task. Uh, I, I looked at all sorts of passages in Scripture where people are saying farewell, but that felt like the sermons would sound like a goodbye forever or like I was dying. And, and I don't want these four Sundays to be about me anyway. Our focus... At Shades Valley Community Church, when we gather together and hear the word of the Lord and say, thanks be to God, and this book is open, our focus is always the glory of God. Your joy in the glory of God. That's the emphasis of my life, Shades. I'm taking my cue from Paul in Philippians 1 and verse 20. Where he says that if he's to remain in the flesh, it's his goal to honor, to glorify Christ. And why does he tell Philippi he does that? In Philippians 1.25, he says, I do that, continuing with you all, for your progress and joy in the faith. My life is about the glory of God for your joy. I want you to see him and who he is. Love him. Find your joy in him. My aim is always to help us behold more and more of the glory of God. See him through this word so that he becomes the joy of our lives. This this is even how we ended our study of Hosea on, on Easter. We ended, if you remember, with a call to press on to know the Lord, to know him. In all of his glory, Hosea 6, 3, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. That's to know him in all of his glory. His glory is his goodness, his greatness, his beauty. It's everything about him that makes him him. When we say we want to see the glory of God, we're saying we want to see you. If I talk about the glory of my wife, I'm talking about everything that makes her great, good, beautiful. I want to know her. I want to know that glory. This is what I want to call you to keep doing in my absence over the summer. Keep pressing on to know the Lord. Pressing on to find joy in the glory of God. I talk about, if you've been around Shades for any amount of time, you know that I talk about finding joy in God's glory all the time. It's the central sermon of my life. I hope because it's the central sermon of this book. Oh, I'm not pulling it out of anywhere, and that's what I'm hoping to show you this morning. This is the central sermon of my life. Why? What? Why do I talk about finding your joy in the glory of God all the time? And, and another question to add to that is how? Like, how do you do that anyway? How, practically, do you press on to know joy in God's glory? I want to spend the next four weeks trying to answer those two questions. Why and how? This week, I'm just gonna focus on the first one, why? Why why would this press on to know joy in the glory of God? Why would this be what I want to leave you with while I'm gone? Why why is this so important to, to me, to you, to us? That question is what we're going to try to answer in Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. Let's just, let's just walk through this passage together. Let's see what's being said. And then, very briefly, at the end of our time, let's step back and see if we can't answer that question. Why? Why is the joy, joy and the glory of God so central? So, let's begin reading together. Jeremiah chapter 2, starting in verse 10 the Lord says through the prophet, for cross to the coasts of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. The book of Jeremiah has a lot of parallels with the book of Hosea. If you were here for for that study as we walked through Hosea, there's a lot of parallels right here. This book, Jeremiah, just takes place a little over a century later, and it's prophecy aimed at the southern kingdom of Judah, whereas Hosea prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel. By the point in time that Jeremiah rolls around, that northern kingdom of Israel, it's gone, just like Hosea said it would be. 722 BC, Assyria came in and wiped them out. Hosea said, "That's going to happen to you, Northern kingdom of Israel, because you've forsaken God and gone after false gods." One would like to think that the southern kingdom of Judah learned a thing or two from watching Israel's mistakes. No such luck. Judah acted just like my two year old Asher did the other day when his sister called out from the top of our backyard zip line, Look out below! He did not look out below. He looked on as he walked right into the path of the zip line and just watched pain zip towards his face. And she laid him out like she was an NFL linebacker. Like, don't worry. He's fine, he's fine. But this is what the southern kingdom of Judah did. Like right after seeing Israel wiped out, Judah walks right into the same path. Goes after other gods. And so God calls the prophet Jeremiah to call out to his people. And point out how foolish this is. How how absurd, how crazy it is. This is what's happening in Jeremiah chapter 2. This is the prophet calling out the absurdity of the people's idolatry. And it's not just absurd because they're committing the exact same thing that the northern kingdom of Israel did that got them wiped out. It's also absurd because God says, just look at the nations around you, the pagan nations. None of them do what you are doing. You're doing something even pagans don't do. God says, pagans don't abandon their gods, even though they're false gods. Like Even though they're, they're not a real God, the pagans remain faithful to them and keep going after them. Just look around you to see that reality. That's what he challenges them to do in verse 10. Look at it again. For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see. Let's go to the west. Go to the western isles and look for this. Or he says, or send to Kadar and examine with care. That's the eastern desert tribes. Go to the west, go to the east, go anywhere around you. See if there's been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? Look around you, Judah. Like, do you see any other nation doing what you are doing? Changing the god that they worship. The, the surrounding nations, those that were around ancient Israel, they, they worshiped gods that were always associated either with mother nature or with human nature. They worship gods that were associated with mother nature. So like sun gods, moon gods, rain or sea gods. Or they, they worshipped gods that were associated with human nature. So you got love gods and war gods and fertility and death gods. And here's the deal. The names of these gods may change throughout history. Really just depending on who's in control. Greece, Rome, Babylon, Persia, whoever's in control, control gets to name the gods. But even though the names of these gods may change throughout history, the essence of what the pagans were worshiping and why they were worshiping never changed. Why why did they worship these gods of mother nature and human nature? To get what they wanted. To, To get what they thought they needed for a happy life of wealth, health. They... They worship these gods to get sunshine and rain so that their crops would grow and they would become wealthy. Or they worship these gods for sex and relationships or to have children or for power or for fame. Nations, the nations, have always sought their joy in the glory of these same false gods. They still do, Shades. Still today, every nation around the world, every person, Every people still worships these same gods. Sure, the names may have changed. We may not be as honest or explicit with our idolatry. We don't call these things gods. We pretend like we don't worship them, but we do. The essence of what people worship and why they worship has always stayed the same. People still worship wealth, health, fame, power, Sex and why do they worship these things to get what they want, what they think they need to make them happy? The nations have always sought their joy in the glory of the same false gods. We all do this, we are born as creatures who seek joy in the glory of things. I want joy, and so I'll seek it in the glory, whatever is good. Beautiful, great, about sex, about power, about politics, about money, about wealth, about whatever you want to fill in the blank. I am seeking joy from the glory of that thing. And this is what the nations have always done. God says, look anywhere you want, Israel. Look anywhere you want, I mean, Judah. Look anywhere you want, Judah. Look anywhere you want, Shades. This is what the nations do. But, he says, Judah, if you think that this is bad, you have done something far worse. Look at the end of verse 11 again. But my people have changed their glory. God, their God, who was their glory. My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. God himself was the nation of Judah's glory. He was everything they had that was great it was good. It was beautiful. They had the one true God in all of his glory as their supreme treasure. Why do I use that word, supreme treasure? They had ultimate worth. Because God says when they changed it, they changed it for that which does not profit. Or another way it's said in verse 4 is for that which is worthless, empty, like a vapor. They had God in all of his glory, the supreme treasure of the universe, and they changed it, or they exchanged it for that which does not profit, for that which is worthless. They did exactly what the apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter 1 and verse 22. This is what Paul says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things, idols, idolatry. They exchanged the glory, the supreme value of the universe for that which doesn't profit, for that which is worthless. Paul actually goes on to say in Romans 3.23 that we all do this. Romans 3.23, if you grew up in church, you're probably familiar with it. It says, all have sinned and fall Short of the glory of God. A better translation of that verb in the Greek, that falls short, husteruntai, would be lack. They lack. Or they're in want. They're in need of. All have sinned, and they lack the glory of God. Why? Paul's told us why in Romans 1. Because they exchanged it. That's what sin is. Exchanging the supreme treasure of God for anything else in his place. It's what idolatry is. All have sinned and exchanged the glory of God for that which does not profit. We exchange what is of supreme worth for that which is worthless. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, God aims to show his people and us why his glory is of supreme worth. He aims to show us why his glory is of supreme worth and why going after the glory of anything else is worthless. Like, he doesn't just tell us, hey, my glory is of supreme value. And he doesn't just tell us you've gone after things that do not profit. No, he shows us why that's true. Why it's true that he is the supreme treasure of the universe. And he shows us why that's true through an illustration of what has happened with his people. Look at verses 12 and 13. God says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And two, they've hewed out for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. Be appalled, O heavens. God calls to the heavens, to the skies, sun, moon, stars, space, all of creation, really. He calls to the heavens to bear witness to what his people have done in forsaking his glory. Why? Why is he called to the heavens? Because the heavens themselves were created to declare his glory. Psalm one, I mean Psalm 19 and verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Skies proclaim his, his handiwork. This is what all of creation was created to do. And us, supremely. We were supremely made to display the glory of God. And so God calls all of creation that does declare his glory to bear witness to this utterly shocking reality that we have forsaken his glory. Is literally what he says to the heavens. He says, be shocked. Be a... Appalled of what I'm about to show you. Like be in disbelief and be disgusted. Be desolate. The Hebrew word for desolate right there literally means to be dried up. Like referring to not raining anymore. We'll talk about why he uses that word in just a minute. Just heavens be be in disbelief, be disgusted, be be desolate. Why? Because my people have committed two evils. One, they've forsaken my glory that you, the heavens, declare. And two, they've gone after the glory of other gods that is completely worthless. And the word picture that God uses it's the word picture that God uses that shows us why his glory is of infinite worth and why the glory of all other gods is worthless. What's the word picture? God says, they have forsaken me, the, not a, one amongst many options, the, one and only. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And they have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So God compares his glory. That's what they've exchanged, right? That's what they've changed. He compares his glory to a fountain of living waters, or in other words, a spring. In, in ancient Israel, living water means a, a spring that's ever flowing forth. It's always new. It's always fresh. It was the greatest and the best source of water that one could have. Unfortunately, most people in ancient Israel did not have access to such living spring waters waters no so they had to dig out cisterns they, they would hew them out of of limestone and they would they'd plaster the walls on the inside so that it wouldn't wouldn't leak and then they would have to direct rainwater into the the cistern but the problem is that the collected rainwater didn't last long if you wanted it to be fresh no these cisterns they were notorious for becoming disgusting very quickly Like the water that it held, it was not living. It was dead. It wasn't fresh. It was stagnant. These cisterns would often become breeding ground for insects. We we know a thing or two about that, right? Mosquitoes. Nobody wants standing water in their yard because of mosquitoes. Breeding ground for insects, maggots. It would catch not just rainwater but waste and runoff. And then when the weather got to its most extreme and the heat the plaster walls would crack, and the water would, would seep out just at the time when you needed it most. And God says, this is what the glory of the false gods is like. This, this is what it's like to seek your satisfaction, to quench your thirst on the gods of wealth, power, sex, relationships, health, and on you you can invest your life's effort in hewing out cisterns such as these and they may hold water for just a moment but even that even that if they hold water if they bring any satisfaction wealth power sex any of that if any of that brings any satisfaction it's only because that's god's rainwater you're catching the runoff Even that's from him. You're just tasting a little bit of the goodness he designed to be in those things. This is why he tells the heavens to be desolate, dried up. We're not even gonna get, we want them to see, this is God's grace. We want these people to see how broken these cisterns are that they're hewing out. Dry it up. They may hold water for a moment, but you will ultimately find all of these things to be dead and stagnant and in the heat of life. When life is its hardest, suffering, death, in the moment when you need it most, you will find that the cisterns of wealth, health, finance, fame, you'll find them to be full of cracks, and all of the glory that you've stored up will seep out, leaving nothing to satisfy the thirst of your soul. We know this, right? Like if you seek joy in the glory of money, money runs out. If you seek joy in the glory of youth and beauty, beauty fades. If you you seek joy in the glory of health, health fails. All glories in this life are temporary. They are cisterns that crack and run dry. Thus the satisfaction they give is temporary. Temporary glory can only give temporary joy, and this is a problem, shades. It's a problem because we are joy thirsty creatures. And our thirst isn't a temporal thirst. It's eternal. We have an eternal thirst for joy that can only be satisfied by an eternal source of glory. We have an eternal thirst. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11 says that God himself has placed eternity within the heart of man. Do you know how he did that? He designed us to live forever. You were designed to live forever. Therefore, your thirst, your hunger, your longing, your desire to be filled and full is a forever longing. Placed eternity within the heart of man, we have an eternal thirst for joy that can only be satisfied by an eternal source of glory. And we can't find that in anything this world has to offer. Bono knows that. And he sings it over and over again. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The Rolling Stones know this. And so does everybody who sings along with them and resonates. I can't get no satisfaction. The glories of this world, all of them are temporary and fading, unable to provide eternal satisfaction. Oh, shades. If only, if only there were a source of eternal glory that could slake our eternal thirst for joy. If only there were an eternal fountain of living water. There is one. There is one. God. God. He is the fountain of living water, and there is no other. He's in a category all by himself, meaning he's greater than anything else we've ever encountered. He is the greatest. Find your joy in the greatness of God. And the water that he offers you, it's not dead, it's not stagnant or temporary, it's living, it's fresh, it's continuously free-flowing. In other words, it's good. He can actually meet what your heart needs. There's none better than he is. He is the best find joy in God's goodness, his greatness, his goodness. But he's not just good quenching your thirst. No, he goes beyond mere thirst quenching to soul satisfying. He doesn't just meet your need and stop. No, he fills you with joy inexpressible. This is beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful than he Find your joy in the beauty of God. Greatness, goodness, beauty, glory. Find joy in the glory of God. He he is what your heart is looking for in all other broken cisterns. C.S. Lewis knew that. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. St. Augustine knew this. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our hearts are restless because they're looking for something they can't find. They're looking for eternal joy, which can only be found in the eternal glory of God. That's why our hearts find rest in Him and in Him alone. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the only place you can find it is in Him. In God, we find the joy of glory. I I could list scripture after scripture for you that bears witness to this reality. I'll just list a few. Psalm 1611, in your presence, that's in your glory, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Full joy forever, only in one place, in the glorious presence of God. First Peter 1.18, Peter's talking about us as Christians, and he says, Though you do not now see him, see Christ, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You've got a joy that is bubbling up to not able to even be contained. It's inexpressible. You can't even... I can't right now even find words to communicate to you the type of joy we're talking about. It's inexpressible. Why? Because it's filled with the ineffable glory of God. Jude 24 says that God is able to keep you Christian God is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you one day in the future here's what's coming for you here's the promise here's the reward God is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy this this is why his glory is of supreme value it's the greatest treasure there is There's nothing greater, nothing better, nothing more beautiful. It's of supreme value. I, I could list Scripture for you after Scripture that bears witness to that reality, that God is the greatest treasure we have. I'll just list a few. Psalm 73, verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My heart, my flesh, my life may give out, it may all fail, but God is the strength of my soul and my portion forever. I don't want anything on earth besides you, the psalmist says. You're my supreme treasure. Matthew chapter 13 gets even more explicit. Matthew 13 and verse 44 literally says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field, that if you find it, you sell everything else so that you may buy that field and possess that. This is the supreme treasure. Uh, Philippians 3 and verse 8, Paul says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. God in his glory as our joy is the supreme treasure. Nothing surpasses the worth of knowing God and his glory through Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus Christ, our Lord, came. So that we may know joy again in the glory of God. Christ came because ever since Adam and Eve, our first parents, forsook God, forsook the fountain of living water to hew out cisterns for themselves. Ever since that day, we have been thirsty creatures. We've been like... The Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Do you remember her? The Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Jesus meets her at a well and they begin to have this conversation about thirst. And Jesus very quickly directs her away from thinking about her dry throat to thinking about her parched heart. He reveals that she's had five husbands and she's now living with a man who is not her husband. Why? Because she's thirsty. She's thirsty. Her soul is is longing to be satisfied with full, forever joy. And for one reason or another, she had sought that in the glory of relationships. And relationship after relationship proved to be a broken cistern with only temporary glory that could give temporary joy. And Jesus came to announce to her and to announce to you and to me the good news of the gospel. John chapter 4 and verse 14. Jesus says, whoever drinks... Of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That's the good news of the gospel, shades. The good news of the gospel is not that you get a get out of hell free card. It's not that I get to go play golf for eternity. No, no offense, Brad. Brad loves golf. The good news of the gospel is that my thirsty heart will be fully and finally forever satisfied. With God, whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring, living water. A spring of water welling up to eternal life. It never gives out. It's eternal, eternal satisfaction. The water that Jesus gives us is God in all of his glory. Christ went to the cross that you might drink down joy in the glory of God. For on the cross, he took the death that you and I deserved. We who forsook God, the fountain of living water, in order to pursue our broken cisterns, we who forsook God deserve nothing but to be forsaken by God. But Christ was forsaken in our place, and through faith in him, we get God again. The very Holy Spirit of God, Romans 5, 5 tells us, is poured out in our hearts that we might find joy in the very glory of the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John 7 and 38 sums it up best when Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Thirst quenched, heart satisfied, eternal joy in the eternal glory of God. Shades... This is why. This, this is why I talk about the glory of God so much. This, this is why our joy in His glory is the sermon of my life. This is why I own the URL thejoyofglory.com. This, this is Why? This is why, while I'm on sabbatical, I want to leave you with the call to press on to know joy in the glory of God. I want to step back and just give you four quick reasons why. Number one, because we have no deeper need. I think we've seen that over and over again. Me, you personally, we have no deeper need in our life than to know joy in God. We saw that very clearly in verse 13 when God points out how apart from Him people spend their lives digging out cisterns. Not cistern, no, plural. Cisterns. Like we look everywhere we can, to try and find something that can satisfy. We give our lives to the backbreaking work of trying to make ourselves happy. It's our deepest desire. Even the person who ultimately takes their life, is pursuing an action that they think will make them happiest. This is what we are always after. It is our deepest desire, our deepest need, and it can only be satisfied by beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Why? Am I calling you to press on to know joy in the glory of God? Because you have, I have, we have no deeper need. Reason number two, we have no wider need. In other words, what I mean by that is this affects every area of your life. Like no matter how wide you stretch this, it affects every area of your life. Your marriage, your singleness, your parenting, your studies, your, your job, your mental health, your emotional stability, your your attitudes, and on and on and on and on. In all these areas, we spend our lives hewing out broken cisterns when what we need ultimately is the one true source of satisfaction. What, if you're married, what your marriage needs most is for God to be your satisfaction. If you're single, what your singleness needs most is for God to be your satisfaction. What's your job, your studies, your parenting, your mind, your heart, your anger, your love, your soul, what it all needs most is for God to be your satisfaction. There is nothing more practical for your life. There's nothing with a wider reach than finding joy in the glory of God. Most of mine and Holly's marital problems, I know you're shocked. We do have them. They are many And mostly my fault. But most of our marital problems are rooted in us trying to find ultimate joy in one another and being disappointed. What our marriage needs most is for Jesus to be our satisfaction. You could apply that to every area of life. I'm not saying our marriage doesn't need other things. I'm not saying if you have mental health struggles, you don't need other things. Y'all know that depression is the largest struggle of my life. I'm not saying I don't need anything, just me, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible, and we're going to fix this mental depression thing. I'm not saying that. No, access all the tools, whether that be medication, proper medication, whether that be counselors, access all the tools. But all of those tools, they are like seeds that need a ground to be planted in so they can blossom, and the ground is satisfaction in God. None of these other things will ultimately help me if I'm not finding satisfaction in God. There is nothing more practical than finding joy in the glory of God, which is why week after week, my aim through this word is to hold up God in all of his glory and call you to see it. Find joy in him. That's what worship is. Worship is finding joy in the glory of God. I'm calling you to worship over this word. This is why I'm calling you to press on to know joy in the glory of God because we have no wider need. Third, we have no longer need. I'm talking time-wise. In other words, this is what our hearts need forever. You can see that in the text by, by simply seeing the only thing that can satisfy our hearts is a source of Living water, an ever-flowing spring that never runs dry. You were made, as we said earlier, to live forever. God has placed eternity in your heart. You, You were made to live forever, and the only one that has life in himself to give forever is God. He created life. He sustains life. He is the only one that can pour out forever. And he has chosen to give you life through Christ. This is why I'm calling you to press on to know joy in the glory of God, because we have no longer need. Fourth and final, there is no higher need. There is no higher need. In verse 12 of Jeremiah 2, if you remember, God called to the highest of heights that we can see, He called to the heavens. And called them to bear witness to his people, forsaking the very glory that the heavens themselves proclaim. Heavens were created to declare the glory of God. Our highest sights that we can see proclaim the God who is in the highest of heights. And the world has no greater need than for this God to be lifted high. Before them in all of His glory. That's why God made the heavens. To declare His glory. So that we're rendered without excuse. The highest heights of everything that we can see proclaim the glory of God. God made the highest of heavens to proclaim the heights of His glory. And He's made us to do the same. To lift high the name of Jesus Christ, if joy in the glory of God is the deepest need of all people, then it is the thing which needs to be lifted highest for all to see. I say that one more time. If joy in the glory of God is the deepest need of all people, then it is the thing which needs to be lifted highest for all to see. And Christ has issued a call for us to do that. It's a call that flips Jeremiah 2.10 on its head. Remember Jeremiah 2.10, God called his people, go to the east, go to the west, go to all the surrounding nations so that they may bear witness to you about your unfaithfulness. Well, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, Christ flips that on his head. He calls us to go to the east, to the west, to the nations, and to bear witness to them of his faithfulness. God says, go to all those who are drinking from broken cisterns and tell them there's a fountain of living water. There is a God who is great, who is good, who is beautiful. And through his Son, by his Spirit, he has given himself to you in all of his glory as your joy forever. Shades, this is why I'm calling you to press on to know joy in the glory of God because we have no deeper need, no wider need, no longer need. And Shades, there is no higher need than the joy of glory. As Jonathan Edwards said, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of him is proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers and husbands and wives or children or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams. But God is the sun. These are but streams. But God is the fountain. These are but drops. But God is the ocean. Shades. This.